kicked off the Apostles' Creed last week, and we're diving into kind of the first line of it this week. I mean, this has been around since the second century. The church has used this creed to define what it means to be a Christian. So this is the Apostles' Creed, and I'm so grateful to dive into this. Because we say we believe, we have to know, okay, what is it that we believe? Right? And so faith, belief is necessary, and the creeds are like a cliff notes. Man, as a Christian, here is what you have to believe. So I was raised, I've mentioned this before, raised Catholic, and that caused, man, a lot of issues for me. There were some barriers I had to overcome because of my experience with religion. But one of the things I'm grateful for is, even though this was quite divorced from my life, that truth is in there because we recited it kind of every week being Catholic. I'm glad you mentioned the word Catholic. Let's talk about that. (laughs) So as we recite the creed, some translations, which we're not using anymore, use the word Catholic. And so after we kind of recited that, I had like five people coming up to me like... I'm like, are we going to fight right now? This is a church. And like, you said Catholic. What are you... church let's take a deep breath as we recite that a couple of things i want you to know the word catholic just means universal so when it says the holy catholic church it's just talking about the big c church some of you i think heard the holy roman catholic church the denomination so being that the creed i mean this it was written originally in latin as a translation Using the word Catholic is probably a bad translation for us. So you will notice now we will recite kind of the holy universal church because that that's what it means, right? And this is a tool to help us understand God's truth. So don't panic. We're not changing the Bible. We're just using a better translation to understand that, all right? We good? No more emails this week, all right? We good? All right. So we're going to dive into kind of the Apostles' Creed. And I am really excited. As we introed it, we didn't even talk about it, right? We're going to dive into the first line. We had to start with God's Word is the source of all doctrine, all theology. But now we're going to officially dive into the first lines of the Apostles' Creed. And it says this, as we just sang it, right? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That's what we're going to unpack for the next half hour-ish. Doesn't really look like a full half hour, but you got to realize we're not just going through the creeds. We're unpacking theology and doctrine. And so when we start and getting into doctrine, it starts with, right, I believe in God. And we kind of need a full stop there for a minute. Because it's easy enough to say, well, everybody believes in God, or basically aren't all gods the same? we need to me that's a bit lazy when we say i believe in god we got to define this god by which we believe not just the god that we want to believe as gary just read and talked about the importance of truth so as we say that i believe in god we have to define it so we're kind of working through our doctrine which you can find on our website and it just mirrors the apostles creed here's how we say it on our website as you look at our doctrine We believe in one God, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, co-equal, which is the Trinity. Now we got a full half hour's worth, all right? 
we're going to spend the morning unpacking the Trinity. We just sang it. Our God is three in one. Granted, right? There's mystery. This is hard to wrap our heads around. And how do we wrestle with the Trinity? Like, are Christians just really bad at math? Three isn't one, one isn't three. How is it three and one? I heard now schools teach new math. Maybe new math can solve the Trinity of how there's three and one. How do we get there? How do we wrap our heads around this? Sometimes with a sermon, kind of we'll give everybody something to take home to help you remember and wrestle with a sermon, maybe give you a rock. I debated on putting little, you know, a little you know, bottle of Tylenol under every chair so you can take that home because you're going to have a headache by the end of this, Right? And so I thought, oh, that'd be perfect. But then that had a weird ring, like, local pastor puts pills under every chair at church. It's a bad look. I didn't do it. But I want you to focus, and I want you to stay with me. But as we try to understand God, man, it is going to push our brains. We are limited by language and our ability to understand. So that's okay if it kind of causes your mind to cramp up a little bit. We're trying to understand almighty God. So we're going to dive into that. And I want you to know, it is, there is mystery. It is confusing, but it is not contradictory. So don't just throw your hands up. Oh, it doesn't make sense. Nobody can understand it. I don't, I pray that is not our approach. So theology matters. Theology about God matters. So I want you, man, I don't want us to be bored. I don't want us to be confused and surely not be apathetic. So that is kind of my hope this morning as we dive into this God, this triune God, as he reveals himself to us. Took sign language in college. Gonna teach you a little sign language. So I want everybody to get good and three fingers up like this. You can put your other hand in front of you like this. You can get them up. Everybody's all ashamed. Everybody's nervous. You put them up. It's okay. And then see what you do is do that. Guess what it's for? Right? That's the sign for the Trinity. Take three, and then you bring it over to one. And I kind of like that, you know? I mean, to see kind of a physical representation of three in one, and that's what we're dealing with. We believe that God exists eternally. The Trinity never came to be. The Trinity has always been. God has eternally existed as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, co-equal. So how do we wrap our heads around this? I think Wayne Grudem, his systematic theology and breaking this down, kind of put it in three kind of understandable points, right? This is when your professor says, hey, this is on the test. You need to know that. Like, with the Trinity, okay, this is on the test. Here's what you need to know. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. Right? And your brain starting to already cramp up. Like, I wish you would have gave me some of the Tylenol. It's okay. We don't have to be able to understand all the mystery of it, but we do have to cling to what God has revealed as his truth. God is three persons. If you go through these, all the great, you ever hear the fancy word heresy? It just means kind of false teaching. All the false teachings about God, if you kind of dial into this, you'll hear, well, attack one of these three. So let's just kind of unpack that to get kind of an orthodox, another fancy word, kind of right belief, orthodox belief of who God is. One, God is three persons. One of my favorite passages to go to is Jesus' baptism. 
Let's look at that together in Matthew 3. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Why do we look at Jesus' baptism talking about the Trinity? It's one of the beautiful scenes where the full Trinity is on display, right? You have Jesus coming out of the water, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, the Father speaking from heaven about his Son. See, one of the most common kind of heresies, kind of misunderstandings, is that God just has kind of different manifestations, Kind of same person that just kind of manifests differently. I remember somebody explaining this to me. I was on a, as I was in college, I was on a summer project in Ocean City, and I remember the guy saying, you know, you, here's what you should believe, that, you know, God is three persons, and he doesn't just morph and kind of manifest in different ways. And I was kind of like, hmm, ask him for a friend, but, so I shouldn't believe that, right? Because that was my kind of basic understanding, so that kind of famously, we've called that in church history as modalism, right? So you hear the word modalism, you can kind of hear the right word, you can hear the root word of mode. There's only one God, kind of one person of God, and he kind of like the father becomes the spirit and then becomes the son. That's my morph move right there, <laughs> right? Is that how we understand God? Basically, is God kind of the ultimate shapeshifter? Is he got like that X-Men power? If you're younger, that Encanto power. Like, is it God just, can he just change and morph? That's not how we're to understand God. There is distinction amongst the persons in the Trinity. If there were not, if God was just kind of, you know, manifesting in different modes, think about this scene. That's kind of a good trick, right? Like, so... Jesus, so God comes out of the water and then God descends on himself and on himself he comes to the dove upon himself and then says to himself from heaven, with you, with him, with me, I am well pleased with me, upon me I rest upon... Doesn't got the same ring to it, right? See, when he prays, Father, take this cup from me. He's not saying, me, take this cup from me. It can be said that they have an I-thou relationship. There is distinction amongst the persons of the Trinity. And don't think persons is in body, as in personhood, has will, consciousness. See, God exists in three persons. So we got to understand that. And secondly, each person is fully God. So many of the other kind of misunderstandings of God comes from that somehow the Spirit or somehow Jesus either becomes God or isn't fully God. That has not been a historical, biblical view of understanding the Trinity. As I mentioned, I kind of got these three points from Wayne Grudem's Systematic. And here's a good quote from Wayne Grudem to kind of wrap our heads around this. Each person of the Trinity has all the, of the attributes of God. And no one person has any attributes that are not possessed by the others. On the other hand, we must say that the persons are real and that they are not just different ways of looking at the one being of God. 
So as we understand this triune God, don't understand it as like a big pie split into three big slices. So it's not that each is a third of God. And you can kind of take out, well, if you took out the Jesus slice, you still have two-thirds of God left. It's not that the three are each a third to make up. It is God exists as three persons. Each person is God. You see this throughout Scripture, even any time in Scripture. A lot of times you'll see angels get worshipped as God. They all have the same reaction when someone goes to worship something that isn't God and they're like, stop, that is not appropriate. You never worship, only worship God alone. Thomas, in John 20, says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And he says, nailed it. He embraces being God. The Holy Spirit is addressed as God. So we don't want to have a Godhead where there's lesser gods. So as you state these three points, it's not like kind of the, oh, the Father's number one, Jesus in second place. It's not like that. So you need to understand God exists as three persons. Each person is fully God, but there is only one God. So you see kind of the easy heresy that can run from there. We split them. They're so distinct where they're their own gods. And at what point do people say, oh, Christians, they're tritheists. That is not the case. As you look at the Godhead pictured in the Bible, it is not tritheism. It is and always has been and always will be one God. Look at the great Shema. This would have been recited by Jews throughout all time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is... Say it louder. The Lord is... One. one. We're not to kind of think of God as three separate gods. One God existing in three persons. And that's where, again, if like, man, you're hitting the limits of capacity, that's okay. We're limited in language and understanding of God, but he has revealed himself as this. It's confusing, but it is not contradictory. We're not saying he's one in the same way that he's three. We're not saying he's one and three. We're saying he's one God and he exists in three persons. I hope you can catch that. I heard it, I mean, this is one of the classic ways of kind of saying it, right? He's one in essence, three in persons, kind of from our doctrine statement. So those are classic words, essence, being. There is only one being of God. That being exists in three persons. Norman Geisler has a good quote, again, to help us wrap our heads around this. Essence is what you are. Person is who you are. So God is one what, but three who's. Right? I mean, again, it's hard. It's starting to click in your mind. For those that are a little bit more visual, you kind of just have that picture, right? There's one God existing in three persons. So I don't want you to get just caught up. That, oh, this is just dry theology. This matters. This is who God is and who God has revealed himself to be. And although it's difficult, I don't want you to be confused because understand this is God, but then understand, right? God is Father, God is Holy Spirit, God is Son. But there's distinction. The Son 
is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. Is that beginning to click? One of the things I like, so I just officiated a wedding yesterday, right? And so in some sense, they become one flesh. So you can rightly say there's one family, one marriage unit. Within that marriage unit, right, you have two people. You have plurality in the midst kind of the unison of one. I get so nervous saying that because we one of the things that we could do, and I will do continue to do in our membership class, is to talk through all the different illustrations. Well, God is like this. God is like that. God is like that. God is like God. He's got his own category. And so any analogy we come up with will fall so short. Because even as you go family, we go, well, but that's, isn't that two? And you can split. Part of understanding the distinction, right, of one essence, one being of God with three distinct persons is you need to understand, I like this image. It is an indivisible distinction, right? So there is distinction, three persons that can never, that will never be separated. I just kind of like that visual. You can kind of see the Trinity, but you can see the interwovenness that it is inseparable. I, I don't want us to just think this is dry or to get so confused as to be honest, we throw our hands up in the air. I want to give a verse from Deuteronomy that I think is kind of a good approach to how we come to the Trinity. This is Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us. I want to stay in that place. What has God revealed? There's one God. Exists in three persons. All three are co-equal God. So that is what is revealed to us. And this is the core of God. So we worship God in light of who he is in truth. But, man, we can say, how does that all work together? How does that all happen? And that's when we hit kind of the ends of our capacity. I think there's another kind of great quote. We've kind of lost who it's from. I've heard it accredited to different people, but it is kind of said this way. In the Trinity, try to explain it and you'll lose your mind, but try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. I kind of like that, right? Man, to try to fully, now we can, what God has revealed, we can explain and know, but to fully understand how it works together is beyond us, and that's okay. And I would say that is the assumption. So as we try to do this, let me start as, man, that's difficult. Let me start with something real simple. God is big. We track him. Remember I got that one. You could say God is infinite. We good? Another simple one to understand. We are finite. So when we think, oh, something's wrong, this doesn't make sense, wouldn't the assumption be that trying to fit an infinite God into my finite little brain nuggets, it's going to be difficult? Right? I can't, even to explain, I can explain God existing in eternity future. Think of, like, wrap your head around eternity past. God had no beginning. He has always existed. You can't. Like, we can't fully explain it. What God has revealed to be true, we cling to it. 
So I wonder, as we move kind of towards kind of the last part of the sermon, to move away from apathy, what do we do with what we believe? What do we do with our understanding of the Trinity? We try to, we can spend so much time trying to explain it and philosophize about it. I found this very interesting this week, as I've wrestled with this so much. You know who doesn't spend a ton of time trying to explain how it all works together? The Bible. This most like unbelievably difficult thing to try to understand. It's kind of, ah, you know, here it is. Worship it. I wonder if we've had kind of the wrong goal. I mean, we, we, Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthians. Like he could write 17 letters to the Trinitarians. Here's how it works. And here's what the essence. He doesn't do that. God just reveals himself as Trinity. And I don't know I really like this quote from G.K. Chesterton as well. And I think this helped me. Hopefully it helps you. The poet only asks to get his head into the heavens. It is the logician who seeks to get the heavens into his head, and it is his head that splits. I think you know kind of where I'm coming from that. We spend so much time trying to philosophize the Trinity and get it all together. What if in trying to stead to fit all of God, all of the heavens in here, what if we just pick our head up into the heavens? Instead of trying to figure out the philosophy of the number of God, we just worship the nature of God. How God has revealed himself. What if we just gaze upon this God that we want to do all that we can more than we can imagine? Well, guess what? That has to come from a God that is a beyond anything we could ever imagine. And what if we maybe worship him instead of trying to justify and explain it away? What if instead of being philosophers, we were more poets? And I would say this way, what if we were worshipers? Pick our head up to the heavens and worship this God that is so far beyond me. Pastor Rick brought up a great verse that I think can carry through so much of this. And it's in John 4.22. To be a worshiper, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If you want to worship God, you've got to worship him for who he is, not who we've created him to be. Let's listen to a, a famous actress talk about how impossible it, it is for her to find true intimacy. Because everybody that she interacts with isn't interacting with the real her. It's with the character in the dream of who they think she is. And think of how lonely that would be. And I think that's what we do to God. Instead of worshiping God who he really is, we worship this picture, this character of God who pets sheep, and of course he doesn't judge anybody, and of course, you know, he's easy for me to understand. We create this character of God and worship that because it's easier. If you want to worship God, you worship him in spirit and in truth. And the truth of his word says, I am a beautiful triune God that is beyond anything you can fathom. And let's gaze at it and gaze at him in worship. So how do we not just have good theology and avoid apathy, but worship God in light of what we just said and what we're diving into, right? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You kind of see the first member of the Trinity in that, of Father. So how do we just apply this? 
Because again, it's beyond belief. This is how we live. What is at stake? Is how you see God and how you see relating to him. So let, let these not just be theological ideas that we believe, but we live in light of them and see ourselves in him that way. So a classic one, right? Creator of heaven and earth. So how does that impact our lives, not just something we believe? Who believes God created this world? Most of you. Some of you didn't hear the question, right? (laughs) What does that mean? That's not just something we believe. That's a reality. This world was created by God. Does your life feel chaotic? Does your life feel random and you don't know the point of it? That is a lie. This world is not born out of chaos. It's born out of a God that created it. That's how some people see the world. God is the ultimate clockmaker. He kind of built this beautiful universe, like a beautiful clock, wound it up, and let it run. Now, we as Christians say we believe we're created by God, but how many times do we live our lives actually look like we worship the great clockmaker? Listen, God is the creator. Said this way, He's the uncaused cause. Everything in this world had to be caused. And if you back that down, well, why was I born? Well, because my parents. Why were they born? Why did this happen? If you go back to the beginning, God is the ultimate because. He is the ultimate reason and beginning of this universe. Do you know what that means more than just a theological statement? It means your life has purpose. That we were put here, that we were designed, that you were designed, and you have a purpose because you live in a world that we live in a universe where God created us. But I love this again. We can all say we believe the truth. Who thinks God is almighty? Who thinks God is powerful? Most of you, again, some of you still not listening. (laughs) Everybody about God would say that. God is, you get into the omnis, uh, you know, omnipresent, omniscient. It just means all. Almost everybody would say God is all-powerful. God is almighty. Now we say we believe that theologically. I promise you, if we didn't just believe that and we lived that, our lives would be different. You ever feel hopeless, feel like you're in a situation that is impossible to get out of? God is almighty. So when you say almighty God, that means he can. Whatever it is, he can. I swear to you, it's almighty God. Don't just say it. Don't just believe it. Believe it and live it that he can. When you say almighty, you say he can. When you say father, you say he will. He will and he can. So there's purpose to which you were created and there is hope in all things, I promise you, because this is true. Are you living like it's true? Or is this just something we say and we recite because that's what I'm supposed to believe and that's what the songs say? To really believe. Church, here's the key. Listen. How? Whatever, Whatever situation you're in, how it works out, when it works out, There's a massive question mark. I have no idea. How and when? Question mark. He can and he will. Period. I promise you. 
I don't know if it's in the next life, in the new heavens, the new earth, or now. But proclaim this, that this is true, and live with great hope that the God that is my Father is Almighty God. Nothing is impossible. He will give me what I need. I just don't know how and when. What if we lived like that was true? To not just understand this in theological terms. I kind of want to end with a little bit of a confession. I didn't want to do this sermon. (laughs) It's not a very pastor thing to do or say, but when I saw the Trinity, I was kind of intimidated. It's nuanced. It's difficult. So I got to confess that, but the confession gets worse. (laughs) Why are you laughing? It does get worse. See, I didn't want to preach it, but as a Christian... I was a little embarrassed by the Trinity. Like if, if it came up a conversation, I, I would kind of divert. I didn't want it to go there as I share my faith. I just, I would hope it didn't come up because I was a little embarrassed about the Trinity, the God that I serve. God moves in my heart in this week. I hope he does in yours as well. Part of the beginning of this, I wanted to listen to like an Oxford scholar because this is, so confusing. I need to listen to somebody with a British accent. You know, they just sound smarter. You can't listen to somebody with a southern accent talking about the Trinity, you know, like Mama Mama said, the Trinity like water, steam and ice. Like, it don't make sense. So I wanted to listen to somebody. I listened to this guy. He was from Oxford and super heady. He was a professor at Oxford. And I got convicted out of the gate. He said, look, when it comes to the Trinity, here's your job. Let's look at this verse. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. If God is Trinity and God, this beautiful God, is a triune God, I was averting my eyes out of my own frailty and fear. What if we pick up our head into the heavens and gaze upon the Trinity and see the beauty in it and not shy away from it. And that's kind of the journey that God put me on to just gazing upon this God that we serve that is bigger than you or I. This triune God that has always existed as Trinity. Do you ever think about this? Like before the universe, what was the Trinity doing? Scripture actually gives us a picture like, what was God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit doing before the universe was created? And we see this in John 17, 24. You love me before the foundation of the world. They were having the time of their lives. They were in this perfect dance of love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in eternity past, throughout eternity present, and that is far more significant than you realize that they already existed in a perfect fellowship of love. It changes the way that we understand the essence of God and how we relate to Him. Listen to me, right? In God defining Himself, it says that God is love. Without a trinity, that's impossible. Love needs an object. Love is others-centered. And so, perfectly existing in a relationship of love throughout all time. 
So if you have a God that is love, that needs to create, to have an object of love, you don't have a God. It is, God is dependent on this creation to make the God who he is. And that's not a definition of God. That's a small God. So that allows Trinity, us to serve a God that is perfectly love apart from us. And you want to hear something that is relieving? (laughs) Okay, then why did he create? God didn't need you and me. God wanted to share his love with us. If we have a Trinity, we have a God that can relate to us in grace, that doesn't need us, that desires to pour his love on us. If God is Trinity, our salvation is justification and forgiveness of sins. But if there's a Trinity, that means our salvation is adoption into the family of God. God didn't need us. God didn't need you. He wanted to create you so he can pour out his love on you. My family, we weren't the Holy Trinity, but there were three of us at one point, right? Me, my wife, and my daughter. We were kind of okay, actually. We were surprisingly okay with one. We're like, yeah, we're good. Actually, this is really hard. One's enough. And then we went on to adopt. Why? Why? Because there was so much love in my wife and I that we wanted to spill it on to something else. We weren't needing to be filled. We wanted that to pour out of us onto another. That is why you were created. God wanted to pour his love onto you and doesn't need us. And he desires to pull us and adopt us into that dance of love. All other religions, it is submit into a single file. God is Trinity, invites us, not into single file, but into this beautiful dance of love. Even racial reconciliation is tied to this. We don't just need uniformity, we need unity and harmony and celebrate the distinction. Let's not be embarrassed. Let's not avert our eyes from the Trinity. Let's gaze upon him. Will you do that with me now and bow your heads? Father, I really, God, forgive me for how I have in fear shied away from who you are. God, help us, empower us, even as we pray. We pray the beauty of the Trinity, Father, empower us by your Holy Spirit to see the glory of your Son, to bring us to the Father in heaven. Father, would we now gaze upon you, gaze upon the beauty of of the Lord and be drawn to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to recite this creed together. Let's lift one voice as we say it. Let's say it in belief. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and the life everlasting.